Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Back and better than ever, Greeny, presented by Progressive Insurance with my guests on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line on this, the best day of the year, day one of the Masters. They're on the golf course after a delay with rain this morning, and right now the lead is at five under par. It's shared by Lee Westwood and Webb Simpson, but I'll say it again. Westwood shot his on the front nine. They went off both one and ten today, and almost all the leaders early are the ones who went off on the back nine. The back nine is going to play two shots easier today than the front is, would be my guess. And so the fact that Westwood shot five under on the front suggests to me he's got a shot to go really low today. Tiger did make the birdie on 16, so he's at three under. Let me just give you where they stand now. Simpson and Westwood are five under. Paul Casey is four under. Oosthuizen and Tiger are three under. So Tiger off to a good start playing the back. He birdied the par fives and then 16. Hideki Matsuyama, part of a big group at two under. Uh, let me try and scroll down here. Yeah, a bunch of guys are two under. Matsuyama, Scotty Scheffler, Henrik Stenson, Reed, Cabrera Bayo. Those guys are at two under par. And where is DeChambeau here as I scroll down? He's even. So he shot even par on the back nine. He got off to a very bad start and then worked his way back to even par. So we'll keep an eye on all of that for you. In the meantime, we're having a lot of fun today with something that came up organically. And before I get to the basketball with my friend Tim Legler, I want to actually bring this up. Legs is with me on the Shell Penzoil performance line. And Tim, everyone who knows you knows how much you love Halloween and Halloween decorations. Does that suggest that you are a fan of horror movies? Oh, beyond. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I, I, we, we literally look almost every single night. And, you know, now, with, especially with COVID, you're home every night. You're watching more TV than ever. And our first genre we're going to check through is any new horror f- films that we haven't seen. Okay, so, I mean, first and foremost, I think that's insane. Uh, fear is, is an emotion that I try as hard as I can to avoid. I've never understood how people watch these movies. But that said, what you may not have heard is that Damian Woody said on our show this morning on Get Up, and it came out of nowhere, it took us by shock, and it has now become the topic of the day, that he, Damian, his mother loved horror movies, and that he is, in fact, named after Damian from The Omen which if you don't know that movie, that character is the son of Satan and the first Antichrist. And that is who Damian Woody is named after. Do you find that odd? I think that's tremendous. <laughs> I really do. I, I, my only wish in life is that my last name, my parents' last name was Myers, so they could have named me Michael Myers after the character <laughs> in Halloween. So what I'm soliciting That's my here, only regret. What I'm soliciting, I put up a question on my Instagram page. You can go there right now at ESPN Greeny, anybody. And I asked the question, which fictional character would be a more unusual choice than Damien from The Omen to name your child after? And there are a lot of fun ones. So, Legs, let's just try some of these on for size. If I walked up to you and I said, hi, I'm Mike, and this is my son, Kaiser Soze Greenberg. Would that be an unusual <laughs> name? Uh, I, I, that, would be, that would be tremendous. Usual suspects reference. I love it. Let's get I, it. I, some of them are hilarious that are flying in here. Everything from Gilligan to Shrek to Belichick. To one guy who said that he wants to marry a woman named Rosemary so that when she's pregnant, they can say they're awaiting Rosemary's baby. I mean, there's, it's just a lot of fun to have yeah. these flying in on a rainy day. So I'm enjoying it very much. Yeah, Satan. I mean, Damien, when you start talking about, though, when you go down that Satan reincarnate route, you know, that's when you start like, hey, my, this is, my name's Tim. This is my son, Nosferatu. I mean, <laughs> that's when you, you maybe have crossed into a territory where maybe some group or family counseling could be in order when you start <laughs> picking those out. That's his name. That is Damien's name. All right. 
Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Legs, let's get to the stories of the day. So we have these issues in Houston where it would appear that um, both James Harden and Russell Westbrook may be on their way out. So the reason I wanted you here, we've talked to our insiders, Woj is working the story, obviously, but I really wanted to talk to you about fit. Jay Williams came on Get Up With Me this morning and he presented two options. I want to get your take on it. If, and it's a big if, but if James Harden wound up being traded to Philadelphia for Ben Simmons, which is what Jay Will suggested, give me your read. Give me Joel Embiid, James Harden, uh, Tobias Harris, and what they have there with Doc Rivers as coach. What is that team? Um, I think what you'd end up having would be a very difficult situation with Joel Embiid uh, being able to accept and buy into James Harden's style. Now, I'm not saying that their offense would look exactly like it did with Mike D'Antoni in Houston, but those people that think you can now you know, make James Harden, that he's not playing for, for Mike D'Antoni anymore, incorporate a player movement, ball movement type of offense, and that he is going to buy into that, and you're going to see a guy now that is more willing to give the ball up early, relocate or cut through to the opposite side of the floor, you know, get a down screen on that side, come out, catch it, where you touch the ball multiple times on the same possession um, and you reduce your dribbling by 75-80% because that's what normal, offensive, good motion basketball looks like. If you think that James Harden, at this stage of his career, having had what I can only describe as basketball nirvana for him, and that style in Houston, buy into something like that, it's not going to happen. So I think you'd have a guy in Joel Embiid who um, also has issues, by the way, with the way that he plays offensively. I think it's more related to conditioning than anything else. You'd have a guy now, a big, that I think that, yeah, at times they would be overwhelming because of the two-man game you could run with those two guys. Um, but those other possessions, when James Harden is, is you know, ISOing and, and getting into his thing because that's the way he plays, I think you'd have eventually, and it wouldn't take that long to get there, a very frustrated Joel Embiid. Okay, so, so you don't like the fit of it on that side. The, the, the one other way I looked at it was Simmons and Embiid, we have said for years, you and I have had this conversation, they just obviously don't seem to be a good fit together, and having him go someplace where they are going to rebuild and build a team around him might work out well for him. The other one that Jay Will brought up was Russell Westbrook, possibly to the Knicks, that he might be the one superstar who wants to go to the Knicks because Lord knows they've been desperate to find one forever and they just haven't been able to do it. The Knicks have a bunch of expiring contracts that might be attractive to a Houston team that was trying to rebuild. Do you buy it? Could you see Russell Westbrook with the Knicks? And what do you think they could put together around him there? Yeah, I absolutely could see it. And, and I want to first, real quick, I want to finish off the Philly thing. Look, I will yeah. say this. A James Harden-Joel Embiid pairing makes Philadelphia much more of a legitimate contender than Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid together. I want to make mm-hmm. that clear because James Harden checks off the, the, the box that Philadelphia doesn't have right now, Greeny, which is a star player that can score from anywhere on the floor. Like Those are the teams that win championships. You've got to have a guy like that on your roster. That's not Ben Simmons, obviously, and that's not Joel Embiid. That is James Harden. So they, they would be more viable as a threat. I just don't know if that would be something that would be super enjoyable for Joel Embiid to go through that process um, because of where he views himself and his own stature in the league. So I just want to finish that point up. As far as Westbrook to the Knicks, look, I think Russell Westbrook is probably at this stage of his career going to be at his best in terms of how we view him 
when you put him on an inferior team and let him be the guy that does everything. Because what he would do with the Knicks, he'd take them instantly to a much more competitive team in the East just because he's one of the most competitive guys that's ever lived. And we've seen him in this role before after Durant left Oklahoma City when he won an MVP and he averaged a triple-double and he had, for all intents and purposes, a mediocre roster filled with role players around him. And we admired him for being able to get a team like that above 500. You know, that's kind of the boat he would be in with the Knicks, and I think that might be the best lane for him. But make no mistake, there is no way that, in my opinion, if Russell Westbrook is your best player, you're not going to contend for anything. So he can make them a much more interesting story. He will obviously make them much more exciting to watch. His, his competitive will alone can take a group of role players around him and, and maybe get them in that spot where they're fighting for teams like you know, Charlotte, Washington, Orlando, and teams like that for the eighth spot in the Eastern Conference. That wouldn't shock me, but I, I, I don't think we, would, we could go beyond that. And I don't think you can pair up another star really with him. I, I just don't think that that's something that's going to work because of how he wants to play and, and still views himself in this league. And he actually had, Greeny, I think maybe the best year he has had in this league offensively this past season with James Harden. Um, individually, so he would it wouldn't be as efficient in New York. But I do think that that team would be much more relevant. Although I don't think that they'd be a long way from being a contender in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, yeah, that, that's for sure. I, as my final question to you on this would be: I, I sometimes I put myself into these situations, which is a ridiculous thing to do, because a person with my mentality could never have become Russell Westbrook or James Harden. But I feel like if I were in their shoes having made all the money you could ever possibly make and, and, and accomplished all the things they've accomplished. They're both going to the Hall of Fame. They've all put up, both put up numbers that are legendary. Harden's offensive numbers are legendary. Westbrook with his triple doubles are legendary. The only thing that's missing is winning. And I feel like I would be trying very hard to figure out how I could adapt my game into a place where I'd have the best chance to win. And it sounds to me like you're saying, well, Westbrook, the way he wants to play, he's better off by himself. And Harden, the way he wants to play, uh, Embiid wouldn't like it. Do you, do you follow what I'm, I'm doing? I'm not asking you a very good question, but think, I'm struggling. Think, and here's the difference how I would describe the two players. I think with Russell Westbrook, like he genuinely just has so much more faith and confidence in himself than anybody he plays with mm-hmm. that it gets him in trouble. I really genuinely think it comes from that place with Russell Westbrook, where he will tend to try to do things that defy physics at times on a basketball court. And that's why you'll see, you know, some of these, you know, really bad turnovers, bad shot selection, because he genuinely believes that that's their, his team's best chance is with him doing that. There's no denying that guy leaves skin on the floor every single night. He is a guy that, you know, you admire as a teammate in terms of his competitive will and showing up every single night with the same tempo pace desire but he gets in trouble because I just think he doesn't have as much confidence or faith in anybody else on the floor besides himself. I think with Harden, I think he has gotten to a place where he found a style, a system, a coach that allows him to play this way and don't ask a whole lot else from him in terms of defensively. You don't ask him to move a whole lot without the ball, knowing he's not going to get it. So for him, with his handle and strength and the way he plays, I also will contend he's the only player in the league that could play in that system and pull off what he does statistically. There's not another guy in the league 
that you could plug into Houston's offense over the last five years. Let them play exactly the same way that Harden did and have nearly as much success because of the combination of handle, strength, and range. Those three things in one body – um, nobody else has that. So he's unique into that, but I just don't think he would be willing to adapt to a different style of offense because it's impossible for me to picture him moving at all without the basketball. And if you don't do that, you can't then play with other star players and actually be in a, in a place where you could win. And I don't think it's even something you could make him do. I just don't think at this point he's willing to do it. He's had so much success with this. That's a really tough sell for a guy like James Harden. I'm talking about individual success. And I just don't see him playing in that style of offense where he's running around a lot and moving a lot, knowing that this is for the best thing for the team, but I might not get the ball in this possession. I think that's a difficult way for him to play and wrap his head around and get his body physically to buy into. Thanks for jumping in here, Timmy. I appreciate the uh, the update. Uh, get some more rest, and we'll see you when the season starts in about a month. Thank you, Legs. Perfect. Thanks, Greeny. You got Timmy it. Legler with me here on ESPN Radio. Greeny reminding you that Church's new chicken sandwich is finally here. With almost 70 years in the kitchen, you can bet we put the work in to make it worth it. It's everything you love about Church's Between Two Buns. Get it today, just $3.99. Thanks for waiting. Church's bringing that down-home flavor. All right, from hoops to the football here, it is my pleasure to welcome Lewis Riddick to the program on the Shell Pinzoil Performance Line. Lewis was with us and was equally stunned as anyone when we found out the extraordinary news this morning on Get Up that Damian Woody was named after the character Damian from the movie Omen. He was named after the son of Satan, the first Antichrist. Lewis, I'm still recovering from that. How are you feeling? Yeah, Damian Woody, the, the Antichrist. That, that's unbelievable, man. That's but you know he leaned into it. I told I told him like that's why he. That's why you had to create the, some of those segments for him because he got a lot of hate to get out of him. And it's better that he does it on TV than he does it like the same way that Damien did in that movie. It's better he just does it on TV. Uh, Lewis Riddick with me here, Monday Night Football. I said earlier this morning, or excuse me, on this show. Uh, Lewis, that I think that your game Monday night is the most important game of the weekend because I think these are two teams who obviously are headed in opposite directions. The Bears started so well and have fallen off a cliff. The Vikings started so badly and are now desperately trying to claw their way back into it. I feel like both of them, their playoff stuff is kind of teetering with Dalvin Cook playing so well on one side and the Bears offense looking so bad on the other. So have you have, I know that you have been looking at the tape like crazy. Tell me what you're seeing in these two teams. Yeah, I think overall you're right. They're heading in different directions. Chicago's lost three straight. They're heading into a bye after this game. They need to win. There's no question that they have a sense of urgency that is palpable around there because, you know, heading into bye weeks, you don't play well and you lose four straight and you lose the fourth one to a division opponent at home on Monday Night Football, that's when owners and team presidents start talking about making changes. So I know that that organization, the football operations department, knows that this is a big, this is a must win for them. Now, for them... But they haven't lost in four straight games to the Minnesota Vikings. Matt Nagy has had their number four times in a row. So that is something they're going to be leaning on. Their defense stacks up very well against the Vikings' style of run game. Vikings are very – although Dalvin Cook is a downhill physical guy, their offensive line is not the kind that blows you off the football. And you know that the Bears' front seven is very powerful. So they, they match up pretty well with them. The most intriguing part of the game, though, is – the opposite side where you're talking about Chicago's offense against the Vikings defense. Vikings defense is not the same as it's been in years past. They don't have the same pass rushers. There's no Everson Griffin. There's no Daniil Hunter. 
at the linebacker level, Kendricks is still there, but Anthony Barr is gone for the season. The secondary has been totally revamped, although the safeties are still there, but they haven't looked very good. Look, I mean, Harrison, Harrison Smith have not looked very good as far as the consistency factor and the corners are very young. So let's just sum it up by saying this. If the Bears cannot throw the football, cannot protect Nick Foles and throw the football down the field and put 21-plus up on these guys, then you have a problem. You have a big problem because, like I said, you're heading into the bye. So I think the sense of urgency is there. I'm glad we're going to be there to see it. It's a division rivalry. What more could you want? Yeah, it's a big game in in so many different ways. In a a conference where there are a lot of really good teams. So a playoff spot is going to be a tough one to grab out of that division. You've got two really good teams in the South. You have a bunch of really good teams in the West. So getting a wild card out of the NFC North is not going to be easy. And Green Bay feels like by far the best team. So the Vikings and the Bears Mm -hmm. are both, it feels like, playing for their lives. Lewis Riddick, Monday Night Football with me. I wanted to ask you about something that became sort of the topic of the week on our show this week. And that is how teams that have good young quarterbacks, at least young quarterbacks with some promise, but have very bad records, should be looking at the draft. And the names that have come up are some of the obvious ones. The Jets with Sam Darnold, who they decided he was their franchise three years ago. The Giants with Daniel Jones, they decided he was their franchise two years ago. The Cowboys, who in other ways have decisions to make and a lot of money on the line with Dak Prescott. Those kinds of teams, if they find themselves in the position to draft a guy like Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. They could go one of two ways. They could take those players, or they could try and turn them into their Herschel Walker. And I know you know what I mean by that. Herschel Walker, Jimmy Johnson traded him in 1989 for the core of teams that wound up winning three Super Bowls. You could get a King's Ransom. So if you were sitting there with that kind of decision to make, how do you think you would approach it? I definitely, if I have a young quarterback still on his rookie contract, like the guys that you mentioned, let, let's just take Sam Darnold, for instance, and, and even Dak Prescott, although he's about to get paid, okay, I'm try, what, what's happening to those guys is not a function of or a referendum on their ability. It's a referendum on the people who are putting the team together around them are failing those guys. Okay, Sam Darnold has shown enough to say this. He needs better coaching. He needs better supporting cast. Simple as that. He's getting the life beat out of him. He's getting his football, like I want to say like his football soul, his football love snatched out of him because he's on a team that can't compete. He's on a team with an offensive line that when he drops back and runs a three-step drop, he's getting his face beat in. Like, okay, put Justin Fields in that situation. Put Trevor Lawrence in that situation. And let me just tee off on them and give them no weapons either. Let's see what happens to them. We'll turn them into mush too. And they'll be at it, and we'll be talking about the next crop of quarterback coming back, coming, coming out in the draft, and, and whether or not we should take one of those guys. See, I mean, we've talked about this many different times, Greeny. You know, quarterback success failure a lot of times has more to do with the people that they're drafted, the organization they're drafted by, the people that are coaching them, the people that are surrounding them, than it does – with their own individual talent. Now, that's not to say that they're not responsible for some of their own development um, results, but this is, a, this is a team game, and it's funny how we think it's a team game until we decide that it's not, and we just want to put the blame on someone. And you got to be very careful with this kind of thing. See, Arizona is like going to start – I believe they have the potential to lull some people into this 
false sense of, well, if it doesn't work out with one quarterback, why don't I just draft another one the next year and we'll just keep keep drafting them and keep drafting them until we figure it out. You know, Arizona was in a very unique situation with Carla Murray because Cliff thought that that was the perfect, absolute perfect guy for his system, and he didn't draft Josh Rosen. So even though Josh Rosen was set up to fail, fine. Cliff was going to set Kyler Murray up to succeed because he was going to run a system that he could hit the ground running with. He was going to, they wound up getting him some tremendous weapons and had some weapons in place. The defense was coming along, and now look at what the result is. That's what happens when you take a big-picture view of how to really build this kind of thing. What happens with Sam Darnold is when you have people who don't have any idea how to build it around him and a coaching staff that, that right now is, let's just say, you know, if we were to, like, just be honest about it, is not one that's going to be, you know, people are going to be beating down their door when they're eventually let go of this, out of this situation. So they need to really kind of reassess exactly what's going on in New York about why does this keep happening to us? Why do we keep churning over coaching staff at the coaching staff at the coaching staff? And then we need to look at the very, very top. And I think we know this. There's a reason why owners go and hire uh, search firms in order to find head coaches and general managers. It's because they don't really know what they're looking for, so they just put it off on someone else. And then someone else goes through this process and kind of whittles down the, the, the candidate pool. And then the coaches just kind of you know, see what kind of recommendation they get from some people that they know in the league who they trust and say, oh, yeah, you like him too? Okay, fine, let's hire this guy. The next thing you know, it's not a good match between that coach and the personnel department, and then the personnel department wind up picking players that don't match the coach. Then you just, and then that whole this putrid cycle just goes on and on and on and on. And that's that vortex that right now that the Jets are stuck in, and many other teams are stuck in. But the flip side is, let's just look at Dallas here real quick. Jerry Jones needs to continue to let people think that he's going to draft one of these quarterbacks. So they're falling all over themselves seeing that they can get up there if they happen to be drafting in the top two spots. So they're falling all over themselves, offering him all kinds of draft package deals in order to move up. And then he needs to surround Dak with a bunch of talent and watch what's going to happen. Dallas will get to where they want to get to, provided that Mike McCarthy is the right, right coach. Mm-hmm. They don't need to just keep turning this thing over at the quarterback position. They have a guy. The Jets have a guy. They just don't have guys around them. I mean, it's, it's one of these things I'm real passionate about because team building is a, is, a, is a very intricate thing. But everybody just thinks all the time that, well, as long as you have the quarterback, as long as we just keep looking for that next great quarterback, we're going to be fine. In Kansas City, there's a reason why Pat Mahomes is doing what he's doing. He's talented as hell. Don't get me wrong. He may be one of the most talented ever to come in this league. But he wouldn't be anywhere near where he is if he didn't have Andy Reid and he didn't have Brett Beach at GM, and he didn't have Tyreek Hill, he didn't have Travis Kelsey, he didn't have Mitchell Schwartz, he didn't have Frank Clark, Tyron Matthew, and all these other things that are going on there, and great ownership there in Clark Hunt. It's 100% it right. together, Granny. All Couldn't be more together. right. I'm so glad you said it. I'm sitting here with a smile on my face. I'm up against the clock. I have to run. Lewis, it's always a pleasure. We'll watch Monday night. Thank you. You got it, my man. Thanks. Greeny, the podcast. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. 
Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute, but Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price, anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts or gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Grainy with you, 32 minutes past the hour, a little late. We went there with Lewis Riddick, but it was worth it. He was so passionate and so good and said it so much better than I could say it. It's exactly what I've been trying to say for the longest time, but he just said it better. And it's not limited to any one team. It is an absolute truth that football is the ultimate team game and every player is a system player. And you either develop a young quarterback or you ruin him. Every team in the NFL is doing one or the other of those things. Patrick Mahomes is the perfect example, the perfect storm of getting everything right. And there are many others that are the opposite of that. Uh, Right now, something sensational might be brewing at Augusta National. It just bears keeping an eye on. Tiger Woods is off to a very good start. He played the back nine first today, and he shot three under par. He birdied the two par fives, 13 and 15, and then he birdied 16. He almost aced 16. And so now he makes the turn. At three under, the lead right now is six under. Webb Simpson, excuse me, five under, is Webb Simpson at five under par. Westwood, Ustazen, and Casey are four under. And then there's Tiger in a group with John Rahm and Hideki Matsuyama. And look, stranger things have happened. And I read you the Brandel Chambly tweet from earlier that when Jack Nicholas won the Masters in 1986, it had been 23 years since his first Masters championship, and he was ranked 33rd in the world. For Tiger Woods, it has been 23 years since his first Masters win, and he's ranked number 33 in the world, and he's the defending champion, and he's barely played since then, it seems, since a year ago, April, and certainly hasn't done anything of consequence since then. But stranger things have happened than that guy playing great golf on that course. So there's nothing better that could happen in sports in this ridiculously awful year than Tiger Woods finding a way to win the Masters again or even just to be involved in the conversation through the weekend. So let's hope for that. And I'll keep you posted on what's going on as they continue to play. Greeny with you, reminding you that every single day you can find both hours of the show posted as a podcast. It's available wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's called Hashtag Greeny, and it's presented by Progressive Insurance. Commercial insurance through Progressive protects your business and your dream. Choose from over 30 coverage options at ProgressiveCommercial.com. I want to quickly address what Brett Favre said on um, First Take the other day. I was going to play it for you here, but we got Lewis got us a little bit late. So let's just jump right to it. By now, you've probably heard about it. Brett Favre basically said on first take the other day, he thought that the Eagles should have stayed with Carson Wentz instead of, excuse me, stayed with Nick Foles instead of Carson Wentz. And it puts Doug Peterson in an awkward position because not only is Favre obviously a legend and one of the great quarterbacks of all time, but he and Peterson are old friends and old teammates. Peterson was one of his backups in Green Bay. That's how the whole Andy Reid connection began. Reid was the quarterback's coach and, and, and um, one of the guys calling the plays 
under Mike Holmgren when Favre was at his best and Peterson was there as the backup quarterback. So when Favre says that, it just it carries a little extra something in Green Bay. Oh, excuse me, in Philadelphia, excuse me. And the only thing I'll say is, despite that, and despite the fact that obviously Brett Favre is entitled to his opinion, someone needs to just say, that's ridiculous. Are you watching Nick Foles play in Chicago right now? Nick Foles got super hot, red hot that one year on a team that was so good that it won the Super Bowl, despite the fact that in the game it won, Tom Brady, the opposing quarterback, passed for 500 yards and his team did not punt. They still found a way to win. Foles was sensational. When he came in and started the following year after Wentz got hurt again, he also led them to the playoffs and and had a chance, if not for a drop by Alshon Jeffrey, might very well have gone on another Super Bowl run. So I fully understand why the people in Philly will always love him and always remember him that way. But at some point, the percentages play themselves out. Carson Wentz is a better quarterback than Nick Foles. He just is. Nick Foles is an outstanding backup who will be a legend forever in Philly, and God bless him for it. And he's a terrific person. Everybody who knows him loves him, and the little bit of time I've been around him, I think he's an absolute delight. So this is absolutely nothing to do with anything. I take no pleasure in saying it. But you look at Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz has the, the ability to be a great player. And it's Doug Peterson's job to get that out of him. More to the point, to get it into him and get out of his game all of the nonsense. And Dan Orlovsky said it well on Get Up about two weeks ago. He said, I'm tired of hearing Carson Wentz in post-game press conference talk about all the mistakes he has to stop making. He just needs to stop making them. But the reality is you can see it. It's there. You can see that Carson Wentz has the ability to be something that Foles is not. So you bet on the upside. I would do the same thing. So I think the easy thing to do is look back on it and say, well, they were winning games more. The circumstances are totally different. Look at the players that he's playing with now. Look at the injuries they've had. They've been decimated at the line of scrimmage, on the the skill positions, decimated. I'm not making excuses for Wentz. He's been a huge part of the problem. Don't get me wrong. I'm in no way exonerating Wentz. He takes an enormous share. When you get paid that much money, you get an enormous share of the burden for the struggles that the team has had. But it's clearly not all on him. And it is clear, if you watch them play, that he's got it. He's got something in him that says to you, we've just got to, I'm going to make a ridiculous analogy, but Michelangelo used to say that when you sculpt something, you're not, you're just cutting away all the parts you don't need. And that's what you got to do with Wentz. You got to sculpt him like, like he's clay into the quarterback that he so clearly could become. You just got to chip away the stuff you need to get rid of. And a lot of guys, there have been plenty of guys like that. Don't, obviously, I know that. There have been plenty of guys like that who've never had that stuff chipped away. But I think if you've got that team and you've got that coach and you've got that lump of clay, I would be doing what they're doing for sure. I would be trying to chip those away. He's much too young to be giving up on him. He's a franchise quarterback if you can get him there. And I believe, I still have not given up belief that he will be. It's been a terrible season. Of that, there is no question. But the idea that they should go to Jalen Hurts or that they should have stayed with Nick Foles, to me, does not make sense. I'll give you the inside scoop on the five biggest games of the weekend coming up just a moment. One of them will be played tonight. Greeny, the podcast. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets but expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. We stream on ESPN Plus, and you can sign up for ESPN Plus for live daily coverage of the Masters. Plus, Michael Collins continues his journey across the country in a new episode of his original series, America's Caddy, covering the Masters and interviewing golf's biggest stars only on ESPN Plus. And speaking of golf's biggest star, don't look now. Tiger Woods just birdied number one, which is his 10th hole of the day. He's four under par. Tiger Woods is off to a great start at the Masters. He's currently two shots off the lead. Paul Casey is six under, Webb Simpson five. And then you got a group at four under. It's Lee Westwood, John Rahm, Louis Oosthuizen, and El Tigre, all at four under par right now. Uh, all of the, who, which of those started on the back? The only one of those who started on the front is Lee Westwood, which means I would keep a close eye on his score. I think the front is going to play harder than the back. Of course, we'll see whether a big factor there. They were three hours delayed to start, but now it looks beautiful. I'm about 15 minutes away from spending every second of the rest of my day watching it and looking forward to it. Meanwhile, however, we also have tonight the first game of what's going to be a very interesting NFL weekend. So, Baba, give me a little music. I've put together what I think are the five most important games of this NFL Week 10. Give me the first one. Number five. Number five is Colts-Titans tonight. And to me, this is the beginning of the stretch that will determine whether or not Phillip Rivers still has a career in the NFL. I've said it before. I take no pleasure in saying it. I love Rivers, and he's a Hall of Famer. But last year, he didn't look like a guy who had a bad year. He looked like a guy who was finished. And I still can't believe the Colts decided this was the guy they were hitching their wagon to because that's a really good team around him. When they play the Titans tonight, play them twice in a three-week span. They have a critical stretch of their season. He will either play their way into championship contention, or I believe he will play his way out of that job and probably out of the National Football League. And on to starting the clock towards the five years it'll take him to get into the Hall of Fame. I have great respect for Rivers. But I think that his career, the remainder of it, I mean, his legacy is what it is. It is in stone. But if he's going to be the quarterback of the Colts and he's going to lead them somewhere, it's going to have to start tonight. That's game number five. Bubba, next. Number four. Eagles at Giants. Well, we just talked about it. The noise in Philly is going to get really loud if the Eagles lose to the Giants this weekend. All of it around Carson Wentz. And could they lose that game? Absolutely. 
The Giants play people tough. They beat Washington last week, and the week before that, they took Tampa Bay right to the finish. They had a two-point conversion with a terrible no-call. Otherwise, that game's in overtime. Giants play tough for their coach. They could easily win this game, and if they do, think how loud the noise around Carson Wentz is going to be. It'll make Brett Favre's comments seem like nothing. So I think there's as much pressure, more pressure, on Carson Wentz to play well this week than there is any other individual player in the NFL. Greeny on ESPN Radio. Top five games of the weekend. Bubba, next. Number three. Seahawks and Rams. Huge game in the NFC West. Which team is for real? Do you buy the Rams offense? Do you even consider the Seahawks defense? We're talking about two really good units on the field and then a lot of question marks. Seattle's offense is as good as any in the league, and Russell Wilson is having an MVP caliber season. With DK Metcalf, the beast, who's, I I think, the best receiver in the NFL right now. They've scored 34 points in each of their losses, but their defense is biblically bad. And they go up against a Rams team that should be able to take advantage of that, but their offense has been so hot and cold. I think the Rams' defense is for real. For the Rams, very hard to get a gauge on their record. They've beaten the four NFC East teams and the Bears. So very hard to tell just how good the Rams are. They could send a signal that they are for real if they win this game. Huge game in the NFC West. We'll know a lot about both of these teams when we see this one played out in the late afternoon slot on Sunday. The five big games of the weekend. Bubba, next. Number two, Chargers at Dolphins. Well, it's the quarterbacks. Obviously, it's all about the rookies. The number one story in the National Football League right now are these three rookies. You're talking about the legendary quarterback classes. The legendary 83 quarterback class, Marino, Elway, Kelly, all in the Hall of Fame. The legendary 04 class, Eli, Ben, Rivers, all going to the Hall of Fame. And now these three first-rounders. There are four, I know, but we'll have to wait and see about Jordan Love. But these three kids, Joe Burrow has been sensational. Justin Herbert has probably been even better. And Tua, so far, so good. Last week, he really opened up a lot of eyes. So it's the Dolphins who took Tua at five, and the Chargers who took Herbert one spot later. Couldn't ask for a better storyline. Fabulous game. Looking forward to a Chargers-Dolphins. I like the Chargers on a hunch. Every loss they've had this season, all six of them, have been by one possession. This week, I think they get the stop and they get the win. All right, Bubba, give me the last one. Number one, Vikings and Bears. It's Monday night, and we talked to Lewis Riddick about it. Only one of these teams, if either, has a chance to make the playoffs. And I don't mean it that way. What I mean to say is... A wild card is going to be very tough to come by in the NFC. These teams are both desperate. They need wins. The Bears started so good. They've been so bad since. The Vikings started so bad. They've been much better, and Dalvin Cook has carried them. Which one of these teams keeps their playoff hope alive? I really think this game is almost an elimination game. I think the loser of this game, well, let's just just say for the sake of it, it gets very, very tight. Their chances of making the playoffs get very slim. So I think it is a critical divisional game between these long-standing rivals. Can the Bears put together enough offense to find a way to get this win in the division and turn around what feels right now like a sinking ship? We will see. Again, it starts tonight with the Colts and the Titans. I'm really looking forward to that. Really looking forward to all of the golf. So we will have plenty to talk about tomorrow. Enjoy it. Remember, the coverage is on ESPN and on ESPN Plus of the Masters. And I will see you back here tomorrow. Same time, same place. It's Greeny on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny, the podcast. You can check out Greeny live weekdays at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN+. Also, don't miss Greeny on Get Up, weekday mornings at 8 Eastern on ESPN. This is Greeny, the podcast.